Story Number One: The Impossible, Part Six, written by three ducks in a man suit. Planet Scylla One, City Number One, Sanctum Number One. In a dark and moistened chamber located beneath three kilometers of solid rock and multiple layers of shielding and technological defenses, the monolithic body of the Grand Queen stirred in a sanctum. Prince Scalia swarmed all over her, attending her and hoping to be noticed. But her vast mind was elsewhere, a command requiring such a tiny fraction of her consciousness as to be hardly a thought at all, and several Praetorians moved in, picking up the princess and hauling them out like bags of straw, despite each having a weight of a car. Half of the Amada had escaped, including all three of the broodmothers leading the assault. They would take at least a week to reach the nearest outpost, Doris's designated territory of Scalia Seven. She turned over the possibilities and strategies, considering what she had learned. This was not the first time the Brood Fleet had been defeated in its initial encounter, not even the hundredth. But the true strength of the Scalia lay not in its sheer numbers or coordinated loyalty to the Brood Mothers, but their capacity to adapt. No race, not her own, nor any that she had encountered, was as easily willing to sacrifice its own population like that in an attempt to spare an attacking enemy. It was pure insanity. Nothing could reach the space age with such a poor sense of self-preservation. There were two possibilities. Either the humans were really insane, or they had a way of sacrificing mind-boggling and monster ships without losing any lives. If the first was true, she had little to worry about. The humans would be defeated in no time, but the Grand Queen had not conquered the entire galaxy over one hundred times by hoping for the best. She had to assume that they had some unknown technology allowing them to make such sacrificial plays easily. Mobile control ships, perhaps. They could not be the first species to automate objects, but the first to do it so well. She began the draws for a new ship, covered in weapons, ports, and defending engines that wouldn't be so vulnerable. Yes, more forward thrusters, a blockade runner that could slip past the automated ships and attack the control center. Yes, what if the ship spun, making it more difficult for the enemy targets to specifically hard points? Good. Yes, she integrated the concepts into the design. Her planetary alert brushed the edge of her mind, and her consciousness snapped home to view a threat. An unknown ship had just warped into local space. It was about twice as far out as the limits of Scalia One's huge ring system. That would be a human ship using the warp engine from the cannibalized Zyadis. She hadn't expected it so soon. The warp engine she had anticipated them adapting since receiving the report to Broodmother Naya. Managing to leap in a single impressive jump was already anticipated. The energy of the sun sphere would make such things possible. The surprise was the navigational data. There was no way humans could interface with Zyadis. It was too far, too specialized. How had they uncovered the coordinates to the Scalia homeworld? It didn't matter. The ship had clearly arrived from far out to avoid instant reprisal. But in that case, it had underestimated her. She moved one of her hidden arms and the ring system, and a stream of anti-protons were ejected into a jet out into space. In a fraction of a second, the human ship was obliterated. 
It hadn't even had time to run a scan on her planet. The Grand Queen felt a pang of regret at the expenditure. Weaponized antimatter took time and resources to manufacture. It was a task so delicate she oversaw it personally. When she detected an anomaly in space, an area near the wreckage that had stopped acting consistent with the universal laws of physics, multiple more anomalies opened up around it. Hundreds. Thousands more. What were they? She began to analyze. Then the ships started to arrive. Station Prometheus Alpha, in orbit around the material world Prometheus, observing the Sagan Dyson Sphere around Juliana 6. Ten million drone ships. That's how many Station Commander Church had set as the number to a room of incredulous staff and excited scientists. To make the Brood Queen surrender, the best course of action was to show a power so utterly overwhelming it brooked absolutely no chance of fighting back, making it utterly clear that there was simply no defense sufficient. Ten million ships. Tactics would be completely useless against these kinds of numbers. Maneuver how you want, position how you want, even if they outplayed humanity at every turn, even if they destroyed fifty ships for every one of theirs that went down, it wouldn't be enough. Their eggheads had crunched a few numbers and informed Church the creation would take Genesis a couple of days to work through. That was fine. The stellar coordinates on the information about the Scalia warp capabilities they had learned from Taurus told them that it would be at least two weeks before they would likely see another enemy ship near Prometheus. Ten billion ships could be finished in a comfortable period of time. Honestly, the most difficult thing would be commanding that many at once, the sheer computing power needed. If Prometheus Alpha wasn't already kited around supercomputers designed to process the massive quantities of data involved in observing the Dyson Sphere, they would have no chance. Thank Freck, thought Church to himself. They don't know where Earth is. Prometheus was well defended even without considering the insane things that they could do with Sagan's energy. He could think of a few things as disastrous as a Grand Queen getting the location of Earth and hitting humanity's soft spots. Forty-one hours after they began their production goal, their ultimate fleet was finished. From the station, it looked like a field of moving stars drifting across the sky, and leading them at the head of the staging point. That ship could go anywhere, you know. Dr. Ray sounded melancholic, uncharacteristically competitive. That power of the Dyson Sphere, the warp technology of the Skellia. Before that ship, distance is an academic concept. It could zip across the galaxy like it was crossing the street to pick up some milk from the dairy. It could go to Andromeda. It could go beyond that. To the other side of the universe. Church had to admit that he hadn't really thought about it. She was right. The more power it had, the more distance the warp-capable ship could cover. I wonder how far that really is, he said. Dr. Ray's turned from the station window where the twinkling artificial constellation of ships was visible with a raised eyebrow at Commander Church. How far what is? Space is big, Samantha. I know we have energy from the sphere, which is functionally infinite, but if anything can tax its limits, it would be a warp trip across a wider universe. How far would a ship warp with all the energy from Sagan? Doesn't really matter. 
She looked back at the fleet. We can just make another. Another? She smiled knowingly. Another sphere, Thomas. We can make another sphere. They looked up at the ship that they had built around the Zyadus warp drive and the wormhole beacon connected to the cellar staging point. Then powered it up with a massive energy from the Sagan sphere. The two days had given them enough time to be careful experimentation with the warp jumping. They were confident that they could take it directly to Scalia 1. The only question was whether Taurus had been honest with the Grand Queen's location. Still, I think I should be on there, sir. Lieutenant Matthews had a bit of an old-fashioned streak and believed that, well, it was all fine and dandy having a drone fleet, there should still be a human presence in the head. We've been over this, Emmett. Too risky. Taurus told us that she doesn't really know what kind of defenses the Grand Queen has around the planet. Matthews bit his lip, unconvinced, but he didn't argue. The countdown began. The control room, fussing over the detail, all that, confirming that the wormhole aboard the Pathfinder had a stable link to the staging ground beyond it, and the readings were all green across the board. Then the warp engine activated and Pathfinder was gone. They lost contact immediately. Holy frick! One of the techs analyzing the readings had a very unprofessional comment. Um, sir... I think the Pathfinder was just destroyed. What? I thought the warp was stable. Not by the jump, sir. Something else. I'm reading debris coming from the wormhole on our side. It looks like it jumped in successfully and then was almost instantly destroyed. Almost everyone in the room looked at Emmett, who had gone rather pale. Planet Scalia 1, City Number 1, Sanctum Number 1. The Grand Queen wasn't accustomed to feeding fear. It was an alien sensation, something that hadn't touched her in countless eons. She didn't feel it when there were only a hundred human ships approaching her world. She didn't feel it when they became one thousand, but they kept coming. More and more and more. Ten thousand, one hundred thousand, one million, two million. Her body, protected by her sanctum, shivered, though she stayed in calm control. She could not stop the pure, instinctive response to such a monolithic threat. She knew the sensation piled by three brood mothers that she had sent to take the sun sphere. The feeling of suddenly finding yourself up against a force so titanic there seemed no hope of victory. Could she even deal with this many ships with her defenses? Maybe. She didn't like the uncertainty in that thought. She could see all of her daughters before her, feel them through the psychic network watching the unfolding events. If she fell, would humanity come for them? Probably not. They showed mercy to the attacking Amada. But it wouldn't matter. Even in hibernation, her thoughts were there, perhaps not consciously, but as an underlying stream as all her daughters relied on, sometimes without even realizing it, a great psychic linchpin. Her death would have a cascading effect. It would be devastating. Many of her brood would die with her. If the Grand Queen could sigh, she would have at that moment. It was a time for kind of drastic measures that she had hoped not to employ since the great extermination that had led her to become the leader of the entire race. The last ancient matriarch. This was a threat simply too great. Millions of lesser activities ceased and the Grand Queen focused her unparalleled mind. Station Prometheus Alpha, in orbit around the material world Prometheus, 
observing the Sagan Dyson Sphere around Juliana 6. The ships were still pouring through church, had almost cried with relief when they had not started spontaneously exploding like the Pathfinder had done. If the Grand Queen had such a power that she could destroy a total discretion, anything within hundreds of thousands of kilometers of a planet. Jesus, he didn't even want to think about it. All right, that ought to have her properly sweating under the collar. A light chuckle rippled through the room. Open communications on the ultraviolet channel, and let's begin discussing the terms of surrender. Without ceremony, without any warning whatsoever, an alien force clamped down vice-like on Church's mind. The force of it swept him into a wrecking ball like an earthquake. He couldn't move, could barely breathe. Though straining his eyes, he saw the entire station staff within his field of vision go completely rigid, hands freezing at the consoles, straining neck muscles and tensing limbs. So you are the humans who have given me so much trouble. I should offer you congratulations. None have forced me to take matters so far as my own hands since before your civilization existed. The sound was thunderous, overwhelming. It was like hearing her own stream of consciousness in another voice, out of his control. Pressure resulted his body. He felt as if he was simultaneously drowning and being crushed alive. Blood trickled down his nose and a pain beyond anything he could describe assaulted him. It looks like my assumption was correct. The fleet of drone ships created by converting energy to mass. Very clever. And all controlled from one this room. Well, let's take care of that. The row of techs on the stations moved like zombies, jerking fingers, spiderlings over the controls with none of the usual practiced ease. A series of commands were inputted into the consoles. Several security overrides were requested and given. Say goodbye to your fleet. The signals from ten million drone ships started blinking out rapidly. Every ship turning its weapons onto the ships around it, and the skies above Scalia 1. The light show of destruction was so impressive that it could be seen from the planet's surface erupting in space. Now, while that takes care of itself, let me see what makes this impressive species tick. As you would say, without knowing how or why, Church felt his memories being invaded. Suddenly, he was a child, looking up at his father as he boarded the Air Force jet. Then, he was a teenager, weeping uncontrollably by his mother's hospital bedside, saying his final goodbye. He was training with the SAS. Then, he was being promoted, his officers praising his calm leadership. Then, he was seeing the news of the Cardin expedition finally bearing fruit. A wormhole tech had been proven. I see. Humanity does not have the technology to traverse space rapidly. Only use two beacons connecting two points in space, rendering the distance between them null. Genius. That explains so much, like why I could sense your mind so close despite knowing how far you were. Your homeworld is not far from where you built your sun sphere. You have more wormholes nearby connecting to Earth. Yes, I see it now. No, 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 no. More memories. He was given command of a project vital to humanity. Station Alpha was to be dropped on Promessa and production of the ultra-thin energy siphoning sheets and transmission relays would begin immediately. Then the planet was used up. 
There was a funeral for sale Carden in space. His body ejected into Juliana 4, as his will dictated. The station was moved to the second, now first planet in the solar system, renamed Prometheus Alpha, since this world has its permanent home now. Good, you have an excellent grasp of the general details of humanity's defenses. More specific information is being downloaded from your other staff now. One final thing I must know. How did you find my homeworld? He was standing on a landing platform, watching Taurus's ship descend. They were walking to the conference room. Church felt waves of soft confusion as the Grand Queen examined his memories of Taurus describing the history of the Scalia Empire. The cycle of hibernation had awakening. What is she? Then one memory. The one moment. Please destroy the Grand Queen. Suddenly the pressure on churches was alleviated, not gone completely, but he no longer felt that he was on the verge of psychic death. He fell to his knees, gasping for air. He felt as if he had been resuscitated from the brink. About half the control room had passed out. Church tried to summon the strength to stand and check on the nearest person, but his legs didn't seem to listen to him. He flopped onto the control room floor like a fish, feeling Dr. Ray's arm fall limply over his torso as she went down next to him. He couldn't tell if she was even alive. He could still feel the titanic pressure of the Grand Queen. He knew that she hadn't released the crew deliberately. It had been a moment of pure shock, so insignificant that it had shattered a concentration. Church tried to get a read on her emotions. Fear stabbed at him more than anything. He didn't want to go through that again, to feel himself pushed to the brink of his own head, to see if his mind laid bare and the memories and thoughts ripped from him like a childish ease. If she was angry, or at the betrayal, would she be even harsher? But following through with the heart of the Grand Queen was only an overwhelming tidal wave of pure sadness, of hurt. If she were a human, she wouldn't be screeching with fury. She would be collapsing in despair. Taurus, my daughter, why? Through the throat barely recovered, Church rasped an answer out loud, heard by every still conscious member of the control crew, as well as the Grand Queen. Because she, she doesn't want this. He felt her attention snap back to him. Not destructive this time, but still witheringly oppressive. He felt like a swimmer in the water with a massive shark in her element at her mercy. She doesn't want the cycle. Doesn't want to kill. Doesn't want to die. Taurus. For the first time there was silence, then a tired new voice echoed over the minds of the crew, sounding for all the world like a contrite little girl. It's true, mother. It's all true. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm sorry. Planet Scalia, one. City one. Sanctum one. The Grand Queen's body was still. Her Praetorians didn't know what to do. They had never been without a thread of constant flowing instructions when the queen was awake before. She felt numb. I I did this all for you. She felt as if she stood at the base of a trike pit. From the room, her 30,000 daughters all looked up upon her, silent, expressionless, unknowable. Every time I woke, there was so much death, so much loss. 
daughters I had created and loved for centuries and slaughtered one another. Every time I woke, I brought you together and gave you the universe. It was all for you. Silence again. The Grand Queen felt like she was truly seeing the offspring for the first time. She looked into their minds like she had done millions of times before and asked to see the true feelings. The response was like a physical wave striking her actual body. Her Praetorians panicked as she massive bulk jolted. Rude mothers who loved diplomacy and peace. Rude mothers who loved conquering and conquest. Rude mothers who just wanted to be left alone in their territory, tending to their own hosts. Rude mothers who wanted to explore, to send their children to find new worlds and discover new things. We never wanted the universe, mother. Taurus spoke from the brood mothers, all of them. We only wanted to be ourselves. Earth, five years later. No one had ever seen a lecture theater this packed before. As the first university to have an orbital campus, the architecture was ultra-modern. Sleek statues of golden figures sat in alcoves along the walls. Row after row of packed seats led the eye down to the stage where two figures stood. One human woman here from New Zealand and, uh, one something else. She looked for all the world like a pretty human female with an age somewhere in the late twenties, perhaps. But a closer look revealed the differences. The facial coloration, the small curving horns, the slitted eyes. So you see, calling the Scullia a race of snake people, as many have come to colloquially refer to them, is not at all accurate. Dr. Race was speaking. More precisely, the Scullia could almost be called a race of static shapeshifters. The brood mothers, like our friend Tarishia, are capable of producing offspring from their main bodies with a truly staggering variety of optional genetic modifications and physical differences. Taurus, if you'd be so kind. The brood mother stepped forward to show off, cameras displaying her features on the screen behind her. I made this form specifically to interact with humanity, a body that could converse easily and be recognized in human society. But at the same time, my preliminary research suggested that it would be a bad idea to be perfectly replicate the human form, that an alien would be more accepted if they had just a small handful of features that would mark them as different from people to recognize. Elsewise, I would be unconsciously seen as an intruder of sorts, a spy attempting to infiltrate human society, no matter how open I may have been about my lineage. The captivated buzzing in the theater picked up, dozens of academic elite leaning forward in their seats to rabid curiosity. That about concludes the overview of our first contact with the Scullia. Dr. Reyes waved her hand and shut down the screen in the scrolling data close-up of Taurus. Rude Mother Taurus has kindly agreed to be our guest for the next two years. During that time, we expect a great deal of cultural exchange and learning to take place starting right here. She will be in the foyer for the rest of the night mixing and mingling, and we highly recommend that you get a chance to get to know our new ambassador from the Scullia race. Tomorrow's lecture will be concerning the Scullia theory of the great bioseed. Thank you. The buzzing erupted into questions as an alien and human walked side by side, off the stage, letting the men and women who had been invited to the premier lecture scramble to be the first to meet the ambassador Taurus, and to ask, a million questions that they had. Dr. Reyes could only marvel at the limitless energy she had. 
Taurus had dealt with everyone with a patience that was only border of the saint-like. But it was her job, her calling, the thing that she wanted to do more than anything else. There hadn't been any threat of war for half a decade, and Matthew's expedition had just reported leaving the Virgo supercluster and was receiving data in real time from all over 100 million light-years away from Earth. The Curie Dyson Sphere was 80% complete, with plans for a fourth one already in the works. The new age began with peace. End of story.